Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Christmas. Toys on every shelf. You actually sounded bullshit good just then. Oh, should we keep going? No, 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 that's enough. (laughs) Hi, Sophie. You have to pay for more OnlyFans. (laughs) How are you? I'm good. How are you going? I'm fabulous. Now tell me about your week, highs and lows. Oh, there's just one massive high and it was my grandparents. They arrived from Melbourne. They've been in lockdown as everyone down there has been and I went to the airport with my dad and we were waiting for everyone to get off the plane and he said, you're going to bore your eyes out. And I said, no, I'm not. And there were two wheelchairs down the bottom waiting at the plane and they were the last two left. And then I just saw one foot of my grandpa and I burst into tears. And I was like, I just love him so much. And then I ran and gave them cuddles and kisses. And it has been the most amazing time already. And it's literally been 24 hours. So good. I know. And you are about to do the same reunion with your family in T-minus. Three nights. Well, by the time this episode comes out, I will be in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. But today is Wednesday that we're recording this and I am going down on Saturday for six weeks. And honestly, watching your little video that you put on Instagram and thinking about when I see my parents' face, I literally got tears and goosebumps. I was so excited. And my dad has handcrafted the most epic cubby you have ever seen. So I cannot wait to get down there and check it out. And yeah, I know you haven't asked about my high yet, but my high is just waiting for that. <laughs> is your high allowed to be something that hasn't even happened yet? Yeah, of course. And my high is I've decided to flip my low. My low from last week was that things had been too busy and I've decided to flip it and turn it into a high this week. No, you can't say, have two highs. No, no, I can. I'm allowed to have two highs. Oh, okay. Settle down. Settle <laughs> Settle down, chicken. I've decided that my high for this week is that I feel truly grateful that I have all this work going and that that people trust me with things and with, like, brand promotion and that kind of thing. So that's a high of this week because it's actually ended up being really cool. Good on you. Thank you. Low of this week, Jade, or is there no low for you? No low. No low. No low. Well, I definitely had a low. My low was that Poppy and I both had gastro oh, that was on low. the weekend, which was yeah, that was that was a real <laughs> that was a real low point for me. I will not go into any details because it was gory to say the least, but that was a low and my heart go anytime I think you're sick with kids or your kids are sick or you know, lucky for both of us it was just a twelve hour thing. So my heart goes out to anyone who's kids you know like have illnesses that are prolonged or you know chronic conditions or anything because it's just it's just the worst to see your little ones unwell yeah absolutely I agree so today on the podcast we chat to Dr Glenn who is a dentist he's your kids dentist Mm -hmm. and after visiting the dentist a week or two ago you thought and him being so good with the kids you thought he would be perfect to come on the podcast. And he was, I loved this chat. I never thought that chatting about tiny teeth could be so interesting and informative. Yeah, Glenn was really informative. He answered all the questions that came in and we really hope that you enjoy the episode. Hello, Dr. Glenn. Thank you so much for coming on the potty and chatting all things teeth with us today. Could you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, as you've said, my name's Glenn Hughes. I'm a dentist, been a dentist for 30 odd years. Love kids, love mums. I've got a, a daughter who I'm hoping will one day bless me with many grandchildren. <laughs> yeah. And we've really enjoyed having lots of kids in our practice. And I know that there are a lot of mums out there that really want to be champions of their own kids' dental futures. 
and really, really happy if there's anything that I can share that will help some of your listeners. Well, absolutely. And I actually met you a few weeks ago because we had a little bit of an emergency situation where Mia kept on saying that she had a really sore tooth at the back. And when I looked at it, it was pretty much half eaten away. So Glenn kindly got us in to check her teeth out. And yeah, it turns out we had to do a lot of, uh, what did we end up doing with her teeth? Oh, we just did a, a little procedure where we um, treated the infected nerve and then rebuilt the tooth for her. She was a champion. I, I really enjoyed having Mia along. She was great in the chair and I hope she had a pleasant experience and I hope she'll be back. Yeah, she will be. She was like, oh, that wasn't even bad. And they said that was the worst one. But the reason that I guess I'm bringing it up is because I mentioned that we went to the dentist and one, everyone was like, where is that dentist? They've got three bluey TVs and that looks like a great place to send the kids. And also a lot of questions just came up in regards to teeth and kids' teeth and teething. So, I mean, we haven't even started the chat yet and I already feel more at ease because when we put up a question sticker on Instagram for other parents to send in their tiny teeth questions, so many came in and, look, like I was relieved already just going, okay, everyone else is guessing when it comes to teeth. So we thought what better time than now to get a professional in to actually tell us what we need to know about teeth. Yeah, so we're going to get started with some of the questions. Let's go for it. First things first, why is teething so shit? Uh, Look, teething is, is really uncomfortable for babies because as teeth break through the gums, as soon as there's an opening in the oral mucosa, Bacteria which naturally inhabit the mouth go, wow, this is a nice, warm, comfortable spot. Let's, let's colonize here. So you get a, a buildup of bacteria in a warm, comfortable little pouch that's uh, under the skin. And as, as those bacteria multiply, they cause the body to respond by sending out inflammatory mediators to defend the body against the advancing wave of bacteria. And the consequence of that is pain. So we've all had a pimple or we've all had an infected splinter. Um, and, and we know how uncomfortable that can be. And as teeth break through the gums, they cause, they cause a similar problem. There's also stretching tissue. Um, so as the tooth is, is coming through, the gum gets a little bit stretched and tight. And there's also pain from the sharp edge of the tooth under the gum as babies bite together and the gum gets pinched between that. So there's a few reasons why teething can be a little bit uncomfortable. So because there is a buildup of bacteria, can teething be dangerous then? Uh, look, babies are some of the most resilient survivors known to man. You know, we've all seen those images of buildings falling over in massive earthquakes and nobody survives except a little baby mm. that crawls out three days later and kind of has a bit of a cry and says, let's get on with it. Babies are just designed to be resilient and teething is a natural process. And I would say that in a healthy baby with a with a uh, immune system that's resilient and a mum that cares for them and is giving them, you know, good food, good tucker, good care, you know, teething is going to be inconvenient, never dangerous. Mm. And you said that so like often the pain is caused by the tooth coming through and that buildup of bacteria and the sharp edges. I know that myself, I have blamed my baby being off for teeth moving around in the gums before they, before they, you know, it actually comes through the gum. Is that a true thing or is that just something that we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better? You know, I have to say that if I feel really embarrassed talking to you guys, you guys are mums, you've got expert, you've got runs on the board. Um, I'm, no, I'm no we're not. I got, <laughs> I got married, I've got a, a, a goddess for a wife who kind of did all that. But yeah, look, from, from the, the stuff that I've read clinically and the observations that I've made, I, I just think teething is just one of those times where babies get grumpy because things are not normal. Mm. And yeah, whether it's teeth moving under the gum, whether it's gum stretching, whether it's bacterial inflammation, they're a very, very difficult cohort to do evidence-based yes. studies on. They don't really fill in questionnaires that well. <laughs> and uh, most of us can't remember when we were teething ourselves. So so we make observations and we make educated guesses, but it's it, it probably is one of the grand mysteries of the universe why teething is so shit. There are a few people out there that do remember teething. You know how people say, oh, yeah, I actually yeah, yeah. remember my first, like, like nappy wipe and you're like what no you don't oh, I call bullshit on that because I I don't think I've got yeah, a memory before I was even like <laughs> 10 I'm shocking like I'm really like I had a really lovely childhood no you don't remember it and but like yeah. I'm what you know those people that are like oh when I was four I did this this and this or when I was in prep I'm like I swear my first memory was like 10 years old someone told me my yeah. friend and I don't know if she was just shit, shit stirring me but she told me that she remembered coming out of the womb 
No, she's shit staring you for sure. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, on yeah. a bad like trip. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, continue. One thing that I've learned, guys, is never to take my mothers on a mission. I'm just going to stay right out of that one. And <laughs> what you say is the truth. Clever man. Now, what are some true signs that a baby is teething? Look, I think we've all seen babies start to chew more aggressively, dribble more aggressively, stick things in their mouth, certainly crying, unsettledness, not wanting to sleep, sometimes turning away from certain types of foodstuffs. I I think mums get a really, really good idea really quickly when babies are just not their true selves. And, yeah, I, I think that you can get a very, very good idea that teething is likely to be one of the main causes if they're focusing on their mouths. So whether fingers are going in or teething rings are going in or they're they're dribbling or their eating patterns change, they would all be indications. And certainly time as well. Most babies will start teething from around about the ages of four months if they're going early. Six months is, is kind of like the benchmark average. Some babies won't show teeth and are completely normal and have promising futures and great destinies. They won't show teeth until they're 12 months old. And, you know, some mums just have to go, hey, every baby's going to do it different. We're along for the journey and we cheer. Yeah, there's not much that you can do to bring it on. I I think it's one of those things you sit back and watch and hopefully your baby will be one that doesn't annoy you too much. But if they do, give them to the dad and go to (laughs) Ravina. It is amazing the variation in teething because I remember with my first, she had, and Jade always laughs because she imagines her with like diamantes on her teeth and stuff, but she had a full set of grills at her first birthday and her cousin who is four days younger than her had no teeth at her first birthday and you know my my niece now has teeth and her teeth are normal but it is amazing how different it can be and poppy yeah she got her first teeth at like three and a half four months or so yeah that's true and i I, and i think that um it, it just is different. There, there really is no rhyme or reason. There's no indication of any dental great future or or difficulty or challenge coming when babies teeth. They just do it differently and, and I think you just have to sit back. And I would say to mum, look, if your baby's 18 months old and hasn't got any teeth, wouldn't hurt to pop in and see a dentist and just mm-hmm. get a very quick x-ray. But certainly up until the age of 12 months, I, I would just say, look, relax, chill. Um, babies do things at different timings and, and you know, somebody talking at 10 months isn't necessarily more intelligent than someone that doesn't start talking till 14 months. Mm. And walking is the same. They're, they're not indicators of anything other than relaxed babies sometimes take longer and anxious babies tend to do things in a hurry. But, yeah, with teething, it, it, it is one of those things that I think is a very well-designed, well-engineered, well-organised process and if you just sit back and relax and watch it and be amazed, yeah, you, you'll you'll really be the champion that your baby needs. I love that you said that because, you know, when you are a mother and you're going through all these early stages of developments and you have friends that, you know, their babies are walking or teething or doing things earlier, it, it, it almost does feel like a silly competition and you question whether your child is okay. But as you said, you know, when we're adults, we all have teeth, we are all walking and we are all, well, nearly yeah. all, but you know, we, we all end up doing it and we don't go back like in 10 years time and go, oh, you know, remember that time when you were six months and I was four months and you had four teeth and I had six. So it's just nice yeah. to know that, you know. Have you seen the Bluey episode, Baby Race? Sorry, I don't watch Bluey. Oh, my gosh. You, Glenn, you've probably watched yeah. it in your practice. No, you, no, I haven't. Oh, come on, Glenn. On you've got so <laughs> many Bluey episodes. <laughs> Don't lie. Busy actually looking after the, uh, the, yeah, yeah, the client, it. the customer, the patient, yeah. whatever you want He to actually put one on yeah. repeat the other day and Mia goes, I just watched this. And he was like, oh, God, hang on. Sorry. <laughs> Tough customer. But anyway, any mums out there, go watch the Bluey episode, Baby Race. There won't be a dry eye in the house by the end of it. It is beautiful. And it talks just about that, not to be in a rush. And yeah, great. You know, they will generally get it in their own time. Yeah. Now, one other question that has always been popping in and out when I have children is can a baby get a high temperature when they're teething? Yes, that's very, very frequent. And it, it kind of relates to what I was describing before, that as the mucosa breaks open in the mouth and the tooth begins to come through, the collar that normally surrounds the tooth is not fully established and there is a there is an entry point that oral bacteria can can get in around the tooth and you can get a little bit of localised infection. And as soon as a baby gets any infection, the immune system jumps in and beaver is a natural response to, to fighting off the, the infection that's there. 
And I, I would say that it's a good sign, you know, that if you've, if your baby's got a fever, that things are happening the way they ought to happen. And I'm not an expert on Panadol and Nurofen and, you know, that, that sort of stuff. I'm sure you guys have talked to other people a lot wiser than I, but I, I think that you, you can expect a little bit of fever to be a normal event. And if it, if it becomes distressing for the baby and, and GP or, or champion that, that's helping you share the journey with your child says a little bit of Nurofen or a little bit of Panadol syrup is appropriate, then, then I would say go for it. But yeah, fevers are certainly something that can be associated with teething. And I think one of the things you can do to reduce fevers is to, to take advantage of the plethora of teething aids that are out there. And if babies are actually chewing, what they'll be doing is two things. They'll be stretching the gum. They'll be, they'll be generating saliva, which is full of fantastic chemicals that can actually fight off infection, reduce bacteria's opportunity to grow and multiply. Yeah. Dogs lick their wounds. Babies dribble. It's fantastic. Saliva is, is God's miracle. And mouths that are full of saliva are always healthy and mouths without saliva are really unhealthy. So anything that you can do to encourage your, your baby to chew and to salivate is going to, is going to really aid the reduction of that inflammatory process and keep the fevers down. Interesting. So good. Does it matter if your baby's teeth grow in like not the normal order? Yeah, look, it, it can be an indication of trouble in the future, particularly people that have got small mouths or, or you know, they've got unusual thumb sucking or finger sucking or, or oral habits. But as a general rule, just as a generalisation, teeth are amazing. They're designed to fit in what I describe as a neutral zone and the pressure of the tongue pushing forward and the pressure of the lip pulling back create a little trough between the tongue and the cheek that, that balance all the forces. So if a tooth erupts and it's too close to the tongue, the tongue will gradually push, 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 push until the pressure from the tongue equals the pressure from the lip and the teeth have achieved their neutral zone. And it's, it's like God's organized braces for us to do the best job that can be done. And sometimes it, it, it doesn't quite work and we, follow on 13, 14 with some braces or sequential lines. But as a general rule, it's the most common question that I have from mums. I've noticed that my baby's teeth are erupting, particularly the first adult teeth have come up and they're not in the right place and I'm really worried, what do I do? I just say, look, sit back, watch the miracle and generally, yeah, the pressure of the tongue, the pressure of the lip create the right kind of forces to reorient and reposition a tooth. And in most cases, it works out pretty good. We, we get a bit fussy in the Western world and we want perfection. So we tend to find that orthodontists are always busy. But that's that's what I would call a, a finishing process. But most people will end up with a functional occlusion and a functional bite without any intervention. Amazing. Is it better for baby teeth to be touching when they grow or is it better to have small gaps between them? <clears throat> Look, I would say that it's likely that we could have a long existential argument as to whether it's better to be brown hair or blonde hair or whether it's tall or short or whether to have brown eyes or blue eyes. I think variation in nature is what makes beauty. And I think that we have to recognise that there isn't an off-the-shelf set of perfect teeth. There's long teeth, short teeth, wide teeth, narrow teeth, space teeth, tight teeth. You're given a set, value them, love them. And, and I think that it's a disadvantage in society that we're really moving towards that time where we all want to conform to this so-called marketable image that social media tells us is the ideal. I, I celebrate variation and I, and I often have, you know, not babies, they don't tend to have crisis, their mothers do, but certainly <laughs> teenage girls will come in and go, I want my teeth to look like my friend's teeth. And I go, why? You, you're you and be you. Can you talk? Can you chew? Can you smile? If you can do those things well, then really query why you want to invest in a battle to change who you are. Glenn, you're the man. An inordinate amount of money and stress is spent on conforming to an image that I think is unnecessary and I think we should just celebrate variation. Well, oh, wow, this is great. The first thing I look at when I see someone is their teeth and usually that is my, like the most attractive thing to me is someone's mouth and it's not like, you know, I know a lot of people have braces and really straight teeth or you have, you know, you can get veneers. Sequential aligners or veneers. Yeah, but it's it's these teeth that if, they're, if they've got character and they're sticking out, like, you know, people have really cool eye teeth that stick out a little yeah. bit more. So if he's looking at yeah. me like, are they mine? Yes. 
Sophie. I've got fangs. Yeah. But yeah. that is what, for me personally, makes someone's personality and character. And I love teeth being different. Having a, a good self-esteem is really important. And I think the best thing that mums can do for their babies as they grow up is is surround them with with a cheer squad that enables them to recognise that it's that variation that gives them the capacity to contribute to the, the world family. And if we're all just clones of each other and we all look mm. the same and think the same and do the same, then life becomes mundane and boring. And I think that the greatest thing that a, a mum can do for her baby when they grows up is to recognise that God has invested in that child a unique personality that is there for a reason and there for a purpose. And what we want to do is give that an opportunity to flourish and thrive and not try and suppress and cram it into a box to which it was never designed to fit. Here, here, On you, Glenn. If baby teeth are straight, does this indicate that they will have quite straight teeth um, when they're adults versus buck teeth? For example, someone wrote in, my 11-month-old has overlapping teeth already. When should we see an orthodontist? Yeah, look, it's a great question, Jade, and I think that the reality is is that the baby teeth often will be strongly indicative of the shape and pattern and and relationship of the adult teeth that will follow. Um, teeth, as I said before, will often find that neutral zone in between the lip and the tongue and the palate, um, but they will also find their um, position in the trough of bone in which they're growing. And so the dental arch, the skeletal base in which teeth are growing, will often determine the relationship and, and the skeletal relationship between the top and bottom jaw is something that's genetically determined as well as functionally altered. And so what you will often find is that the pattern of relationship in baby teeth is, is indicative of what's going to happen in the adult teeth. And it's not, it's not a hundred percent following. Baby teeth tend to be what we would describe as an edge to edge bite where the incisal biting mm. edge of the top tooth meets the biting edge of the, of the bottom tooth. Whereas adult teeth, um, the mid face develops much more prominently and quickly than the, the, the um, lower jaw in, in normal development. So, um, adult teeth are in a slight overbite and slight overjet relationship. But you will get a really good idea. Most dentists could predict around the age of two years old whether your child is going to need braces at 14 with 70 to 80 percent accuracy just based on, wow. on observations of, of the skeleton. So, yeah, you, you can be pretty confident that if your baby's teeth come up and there's plenty of space and plenty of room that it's less likely they'll have a crowded adult dentition. And the reverse, if baby teeth are really tightly um, touching each other and some of the lower incisors are actually not in a straight line but twisted to fit in the jaw that you're you're heading for some challenge when the adult teeth come through. I'm sure we'll get into thumb sucking and dummy sucking later but with the mouth shape I remember when Billy was sucking a dummy all the time and then we got rid of it she when she was sucking the dummy she had a real strange like almost bucket bucky front tooth or buck teeth and then when and it was about I think she was about two when we gave the dummy away um her teeth and her her mouth shape went like straight yes and that's what I was saying before Jade that teeth will naturally find themselves in the space in which they are less stressed so Ah. the tongue pressure and lip pressure and all contribute to creating the neutral zone where the tooth is in its most comfortable relaxed position so if you add something into the mix, like a chewing a pencil habit or a thumb sucking habit or sucking on a, a dummy habit, you will create additional forces that will cause the tooth to move until it's in, in a comfortable space again. So when, when you give up the dummy at, at 18 months to two years of age, which is a really good time to, you know, to be changing from that, Thanks. you'll find that very quickly the, the lip will pull the teeth back. So what I would say to mums is, look, Get through those early years any way you can. Just recognise that, you know, all of the things that mums do and babies do, they survive, they bounce back. Most of us are well-adjusted adults in spite of what our mothers did when we were 18 months old. (laughs) But habits that are prolonged, they can then just create what I would call irreparable or permanent functional changes in the shape of the face. So I would certainly think that thumb-sucking, finger-sucking, dummy-sucking past 18 months, two years old, is is probably going to put that child at risk of permanent facial change. Yep. So 
So good, good to get rid of them as, as early as you can. So my, my daughter is a thumb sucker. But dun, it's dun, not like dun. a dummy in the way, like I can't chop off her thumb. Like I would honestly have to mummify her to sleep to That's not easy. suck her yeah. thumb. And obviously she's not at the age, she's two and a half or nearly three, yeah. but she's still not at the age that she could like voluntarily stop. That's right. Is there yeah. an age, like would it just be as soon as possible type thing? Yeah, look, I, I think that you have to recognise the complex nature of it and you guys do and, yeah. and you're all over it. I, I always say to mums, look, nobody ever died from buck teeth. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you the only way you can purchase peace and happiness in a home is to let your child suck its thumb, well, let them yell at you when they're 18 and they don't look so good in their high school formal. <laughs> but what, what I would what I would suggest is that there are some really good ways of getting children to, to stop sucking their thumbs. And one of the easy ways of doing it is using gloves or mittens in winter. And most children will break the habit within two or three weeks. So I would say to, uh, you know, a mum who really has been told by her dentist or health professional, hey, look, your child is at particular risk of, of developing a, a deep overjet or, you know, a, a facial skeletal change. And this is something we need to nip in the bud. Yeah, putting putting your kids in mittens, maybe even putting a very gentle sock, I often say put a sock over their hand and then just a little bandage around their wrist. Some of those things, most kids won't suck their thumb through a sock or through a bandage. And if you can do it for two or three weeks, you'll often find that you'll get good compliance. There are some kids that just automatically put their thumb in their mouth when they're asleep. And as you said, it's not a voluntary thing. It's not something that you have to require discipline. They're not naughty for doing it. Mm. But I, I think that in consultation with your health professional, if you take your baby along to the dentist or the therapist and just say, look, do you think my child is showing any form or any indication that there's going to be permanent skeletal change with this habit, a, a good health professional won't think in binary terms of black and white. They'll have a look at your child and they'll go, you know what, there's no arching of the teeth, there's no change in indication in the palate. This is not something that's a, you know, something that needs tears. Um, encourage your child to give up as soon as they can, bribe them when they're open to bribery, incentivize when they're open to incentivization. Um, but yeah, most kids will naturally recognize by preschool that it's not cool. It's a bit of a baby thing to do and will give up naturally. I sucked my finger till I was 14. Um, and I think I turned out all right. Um, but I did need braces and there were permanent consequences because of the habit. My and, cousin and, had, um, yeah. when she was like at 10 or 11, I think, she ended up getting this device before she got braces because they needed her to curb the habit. So they put, the dentist yeah, put this. A little. You tell me. Like a you're fence or a barrier in there. Yeah, they'll put a little device in there that just stops the thumb going in. That's probably at the extreme end. Mm. Um, I think she I was think most, extreme at thumb sucking, so yeah, it makes sense. Most most kids are really open to bribery. And um, <laughs> yeah, I got know, a Barbie camper van at six years of age that's it. to stop mine because I would do it to sleep because they tried that nail polish. But I knew that if yep. I just dealt with the yucky tasting suck for just one suck, it was then gone. Like I was like, that's it's gone. worth it to yeah. still suck my thumb. And then they said, yeah. okay, you can have a Barbie camper van if you stop doing it. And so I was old enough to know what that meant. And so I would sleep on my arms Aww. and I would yeah, okay. wake up in the morning <laughs> and it would take me about 30 minutes to be able to use my arms again oh, that's to disgusting. break the habit and my oh, arms dear. would be like dead weights <laughs> by my side. That is so cute. But I was thinking yeah. I love the idea about the mittens and socks because I reckon I can frame it in the way that let's go to the snow next winter for three weeks, yeah. very expensive, yeah. potentially cheaper than braces. Mm. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. We're all on board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fabulous. Glenn yeah, said we good. have to. Yep. Big tick from Glenn. Yeah. Do lip ties affect the way teeth grow? Talking about like the little freedom of muscle, yeah, the one that you're, you're looking at. Yeah, yeah, they can. They can certainly contribute to what we would call a, a diastema, a space between the front teeth. And if the muscle band is particularly high, then that can certainly contribute to it. I have to um, declare my hostility and, and, and anger at a growing trend in Australia that is, in my mind, just pure money-making where mums are encouraged to take their babies to sort of paraprofessional people and have tongue ties and lip ties and all that released. I, I would think that it's a very worrying trend 
and it's introducing babies very early to the idea that they need to be modified and reshaped. And there is a there is a school of thought out there that says that releasing tongue ties and releasing lip ties early will contribute to an improved oral outcome. I, along with greater majority of paediatric dentists, would not be in favour of that view. And we would be saying that unless your child is demonstrating a lack of capacity to chew, breathe, talk, sleep, then there's no indication for early intervention with tongue ties and lip ties. So what I would normally say in my practice is that as a dentist, if I can see a dental reason for doing it, then I'll do it. But I would want to involve the family of health professionals that are, are, are cheering that kid on. And I would want the speech pathologist to tell me that there is clear indication that this child is lisping or not able to pronounce certain vowels or consonants before I, I would um, yeah, go off a, a, a YouTube site or a, a podcast that says, hey, this is the latest trend in babies. Take them up to a clinic on the Gold Coast. <laughs> a person up there that for $1,200 will, you know, trim all of the, the, the ties and freedoms and your child will have a brighter future. Um, I, I'm Did really you just listen to our feeling... latest sponsor? No, I'm joking. We don't have one like that. No, 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 no. And um, if, if you guys are that way aligned, we're still... We're not, we're not. Way, I'm just talking I'll, shit. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll have my opportunity just to get out there on the ether waves and say, please, you know, accept variation, accept that yeah. there are things that look different and that are different. And unless you can have a compelling reason for the medal, you, you're going to actually get a lot better outcome with babies growing up in their teeth the less you meddle. Yeah, we, mm. we often think that we're curing problems, but time has proved time and time and time again that intervention by well-meaning dental professionals often doesn't produce the best outcomes in the long term. And there's many, many good evidence-based studies of school dental service in New Zealand is a classic one where children were overtreated, teeth were overfilled, overdrilled, and the long-term consequences were not in, in the best outcome of the child. And that goes with, with everything from releasing freemans to doing orthodontics and braces and unnecessary dentistry. Unless there's a compelling reason where the advantage outweighs the disadvantage, anticipatory or early intervention is often shown to just swap an obvious problem for a less obvious problem or a single problem for a multiple of problems. Mm. Nature often does the absolute best for our kids when left without meddling. Now, fusing. I don't know what fusing means, but it says, is a fused baby tooth anything to worry about and will the adult tooth be fused? And I was surprised. We had many people writing yeah. in about fused teeth and I didn't know what it was either. Yeah, look, it's it's very much like a twin. Teeth develop in um, in a little, you could, you could say, a... a um, a little follicle and um, a little bit like a, a baby developing in a placenta. And sometimes in the early stages of development, you can have the little tooth germ split like twins and you can have two teeth that will grow from one germ and sometimes they can be joined together. Sometimes adjacent teeth can be fused together, although more often fused teeth are from one single tooth germ that has just developed two um, individual teeth that are fused together. And I would say that I am not aware of any compelling evidence that says that fused baby teeth are an indication that the adult tooth germ will be fused any more than somebody who had a, a set of twins mm. is is going to have a set of twins again. Mm. But you, you may find that there's an increased chance of it, but it, it's not necessarily an indication that there's any functional deficit in the way that the teeth are forming. Mm. Yeah. And I, I would think that twin teeth is uncommon, but it's it's common enough to not be seen as, as a disease or, or yeah. a pathology. Yeah. A, lo a lot of babies, they grind their teeth when their teeth are coming through. Is, is that yeah. anything to worry about? And if it continues, is there anything we should be doing about it? Yeah, look, um, I've, I've seen in my time babies pretty well wear their teeth right down to the gum levels from grinding and then go on to have a completely normal set of adult teeth. As I said before, baby teeth are generally edge to edge. Mm -hmm. As the mid-face grows, then the, the trough in which the adult teeth are developing is slightly forward of the bottom jaw. And in a normal, what we would call class one relationship, which is the most common relationship, there's a little bit of overbite, a little bit of overjet. And once that happens, you'll find that children will tend to go through their teens and adolescent years without being excessive grinders. And babies that, that were really bad grinders don't necessarily have to be grinders in their adulthood. Although I would be of the opinion that 
many adults grind as well mm-hmm. and that there may be a link between patterns in childhood that are later reoccurring in, in their adult years. Similarly to what we were saying before about the finger sucking and thumb sucking, are, are babies who are bottle fed more likely to have issues with teeth? Look, bottle feeding is a, is a huge problem in Australia, not because of the content of what's in the bottle, although some people foolishly put chocolate milk and red cordial in it, and I hope Wow. Hope you guys would be not cheering for that. <laughs> um, but the big problem with the big problem with bottle feeding is the ready supply. I'm not uh, an expert on breastfeeding, but I, I kind of think that breastfeeding is a self-limiting nutritional exercise in that it's just not an endless tap, and babies will tend to 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 drink until they've run that supply down, and then there needs to be time before the breast milk quantity builds up again to, to provide an adequate nutritional supply. So babies that are breastfed tend to fall into patterns of regular feeds interspersed by enough time for the saliva to undo the damage that's caused from exposure to carbohydrate. Whereas with bottles, bottles are used in, in the Western world not only as nutritional devices, they're also used for recreational devices and they're used as pacifiers. And if a baby's crying give them a bottle and that, that will kind of sort it. And, and one of the huge things that we notice as dentists is that at two or three, we're seeing the consequences of bottle feeding patterns that were occurring between 12 and 18 months. So what will happen? And, and the thing that I'd love your listeners to recognize is that we have two enemies in the Western world. One is the ready supply of carbohydrate and that is divided into both the amount that we use, but more importantly, the frequency with which we use it. And frequency is probably one thing that mums haven't really appreciated, that the total volume of sugar is not as important as the frequency with which it's delivered. So a cup in which a baby will have a glass of milk that's sculled in 20 seconds is far less damaging to that child's mouth than the same volume put in a sippy cup or a bottle and sucked over one or two hours. Mm. And it's because the saliva will neutralise acid very quickly once the acid is in the mouth, but it still probably takes two to three hours to undo the damage of a single meal event. And the meal event is not measured by volume, it's just measured by frequency. So one sip of something that has carbohydrate in it, whether it's unflavoured milk or fruit juice or anything like that, as soon as you give one sip of carbohydrate, the mouth becomes acidic and it takes three hours before that acidity is neutralised and any damage done remineralized. So if you're having 250 mils of fruit juice a day in one go, that's one meal event, one acidic attack, three meals later. So three hours later, the acid is neutralised and the baby is safe. But you take that 250 mils and put it in a sippy cup and consume it over four hours, Mm. then what you've really done is you've stretched that risk period from four hours to seven hours because it's going to be seven hours after the last sip that the mouth becomes neutralised. So if you have three or four exposures to carbohydrate a day, then you're putting your baby in a position where their mouth is only having the night time to remineralize and in many cases the habit of putting babies to bottle with sorry mm. to bed with a bottle means that as they fall asleep and their salivary flow drops there's milk lying around the mouth the entire night and the bacteria just go man this is just like rain that never stops we we just got a ready supply we just keep making acid and it's that acid that gets between the teeth and then starts to demineralize them and then suddenly, yeah, good mums will come in and they'll go, my baby's four or five and I look in their mouth and all of a sudden there's six holes, seven holes, and that right was holes. Me. where did they come from? Yeah, and they've, they've come because at an earlier stage in life there's been a sufficient volume of carbohydrate over a sufficient frequency to change the balance in that baby's mouth. So that so kids are still going to get decay. It's just inevitable that that happens. But the normal pattern in Australia is for kids not to get decay. And it's quite easy for you to raise your child not to have decay by just learning early to have regular feeds and trying as much as possible to compress what I would call the risky meals, the carbohydrate meals, to um, regular meal times 
or even to try and see if you can work it out so that there's large periods of the day where there's not a lot of simple carbohydrates. So compress those risky meals. That's so interesting because, you know, like I would say that with my kids, like we watch what they eat a lot, like they don't get a lot of sugar. But Poppy loves drinking like a cup of milk and sometimes we'll really drag that on. And I would never have thought of that just sitting in her mouth like that. That's so interesting. And when I spoke to Glenn the other day, he mentioned also that if you're going to give your child sugar or fruit or something, choose a part of the day. So say in the morning it's like there's your yogurt and your fruit and then their teeth have that, 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 break I guess throughout the day where it can yeah Yeah. so um I've been mindful because I used to literally just give them whatever they wanted all the time and then when I walked into Glenn he was like yeah you've got to just you know try and alter that and it will make a big difference and because the girls were listening to you as you told me that they've been very mindful they've been more respectful and they're they're brushing it's not their just te- you being a pain no it's not it's mm. actually yeah. because there's a reason behind it so it, yeah. it it's actually done us a world of good these past two weeks and they haven't been you know they know when I say no you can't have a frozen yogurt after school because you've had this this and this they they don't whinge about it anymore they're like okay I can't yeah and I think that I think the other thing the frequency is one of the thing and the other thing that I think is not appreciated is that dental decay is a communicable disease people don't get that it's not a, a, a well-known fact and one of the greatest things that you can do if you're about to have a baby or you have a young baby is to make sure that the primary caregivers the ones that are closest to the baby the ones that might be licking the spoon or sucking the dummy that their mouths are decay free oh. if you can establish a healthy oral flora for your baby then you are setting them up for a life of dental success Wow. So babies that are raised in communities where the decay rate is high are at a much greater disadvantage than babies that are raised in communities where the decay rate is low. So it's a little bit like immunisation. If you can be in a community where the, the bacterial load is low, mm. your child can, can go through um, much more risky behaviours without adverse outcomes. So the best thing that any mum can do when she knows she's pregnant is that before the baby starts to have their first teeth, before four to six months of age, if they can make sure that they're off to the dentist, that their own mouths are clean and healthy, their gums are looking good, there's no active decay, that the, the dad and the grandma and, you know, whoever those, those primary caregivers mm. are have, have a really good oral flora in their own mouths. That's where the baby is going to pick up the garden that will be the garden of bacteria that's in their own mouths. Wow. So, so what you do in your own dental care is, is not just a good example. It's actually setting up a bacterial garden that will naturally give to your baby the best thing. And I often would say to um, people, I worked for many, many years in the Aboriginal community in, and um, sometimes in the Aboriginal community, you've got a super good mum, but there's a whole bunch of aunties that, that haven't joined the program. And I would always say to that mum, find the healthiest mouth around and make sure that's the person that's kissing the baby. Yeah? <laughs> just just try and really make sure that you guard that baby from from being too much exposed in the community to people who have high active decay. And obviously, yeah, what we would really love is that when the baby comes into the network, that everybody in the network says, right, we are champions, we really love this kid, we're investing in their future. And one of the things that we can all do is go and get a dental checkup and make sure that that the, the champions around this kid have the healthiest mouths they can. And then that naturally lends itself to passing on a super healthy flora to that kid. That's so interesting. With on another, like if we flip it on its side, what if like in terms of genetics, my friend has, she's fastidious with flossing and brushing her child's teeth and he has had to have like caps on his teeth at the back Yeah, and she she's like, I like she sees how I feed my children and they have a lot more sugar than what her children do and she's yes. like, I can't believe it should be your children that have this. <laughs> well, one of them does. And, and that's one of the great mysteries. It's, saliva is so important. It's capacity to buffer acid. The garden that that you pick up, the oral bacteria that you pick up is so important. Exposure to fluoride makes a huge Mm. difference. I think oral hygiene, 
we can sell oral hygiene products. So there tends to be, an, what in my view, an inflation of the contribution that oral hygiene makes to, to, to our dental health. And because we can sell toothpaste and we can sell toothbrushes and we can sell dental floss, they're easy things to advertise and we can, we can create the idea that it's, it's the key. But I would say in a pie chart of dividing it all up, genes is going to be like 20%, diet's going to be like 70%, mm. oral hygiene is going to be like 10%. Mm. And so I think that, I think that the, the greatest thing that we can change, we can't change who our mum is, we can't change who our dad is, we can't necessarily change the house in which we were born or the postcode we live in. But it, it, it's not a, it's not a matter of cost or intelligence to just say, hey, I, I'm going to understand that as a mum, my responsibility is to monitor frequency and to monitor total volume of carbohydrate. And if you can do those two things and do them really, really well, a lot of the other stuff will fall into place. So I've, I've seen plenty of babies grow up healthy and happy and decay-free without ever touching dental floss. And I'm not discouraging people from doing it, <laughs> but that's not the deal breaker. Wow. The deal breaker the deal breaker is the frequency at which they're exposed to, to sugars. And some people will do everything right and just purely and simply because the oral bacteria they inherited from the cluster of people that championed their early years is a particular virulent strain, they're at a huge disadvantage. Wow. Um, dehydration is a problem. Lack of salivary flow is a problem. Yeah, and, and there's, it's, it's a very, very complex thing. And I think that one of the things that as dental professionals we learn very, very quickly is that you're always gentle with mums, never scold. You, you ask questions and you inquire and you try and encourage people to make the best choices they have. But at the end of the day, you know, my mother was a vegetarian her whole life and she, she got bowel cancer at 40 and that's not the norm, but it still mm. happens. And mm, you've yeah. just got to recognise that, you know, look, mums do their best and if we can, as a community around them, encourage them to stack the cards in, in and stack the odds in favour of their baby and then, then you know, deal with the outcomes. And, and yeah, I think that we don't want to create an, an idea where you're being graded as a mum on, on whether or not yeah, your child is a superstar and can you know show off a clean record of health and never had any issues. There's complex problems. We live in a broken world and bad things happen. And I, I think that, yeah, regular checks, regular intervention, listen to your dental professional. And listen um, to your mother. Do, yeah, do, do what you can and put, put the odds in your favour and then, then, then deal with the rest. I even had to get a feeling last year and my dentist said it was the way that my one of my back teeth was positioned it meant that yes. the tooth in front was really difficult to access so she said you know That's it doesn't correct. have to do with yeah. diet it's just really really difficult to get yeah. to so yeah. there's not really a lot you could have done to avoid this Did you and for sure it? and childhood fevers sure. and, and exposure to medications early on in life are all leading to a very increased rise in what we call incisor molar hyperplasia where the teeth actually they just don't they don't form properly, mm. and um, that's 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 growing, and and lots of um, kids are finding that their adult molars and adult teeth are coming through, and they're not as well baked, if you can use that mm -hmm. metaphor, as they could be. And yeah, there's lots of complex reasons why people need dentists. I don't think we'll ever be out of a job, and uh, I, I think that you guys are doing an amazing thing, just putting out there to your listeners. Hey, look, there's some simple things you can do to move the odds in your favour. But at the end of the day, none of us are invincible or capable of saying nothing bad is ever going to happen to me or my child. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes things happen and dentists love to get in there and say, we want to share the journey with you and, um, and, and help you get through this the best way. Let's move on to brushing, shall yeah. we? Yeah, let's, yeah let's brush. Brush off and brush on. Even talking to you, you know when someone says like concentrate on your breathing and like breathing sometimes yep. becomes difficult, I've been thinking about my saliva this entire chat and I'm like, I'm, yeah. It's you don't have a lot. I can ever. tell. No, you have a dry mouth. Well, right now I'm feeling, well, now it's gone all dry because it's embarrassed, but beforehand I felt like <laughs> yeah. I couldn't even swallow all my saliva down. I'm drawing no, over you, you Glenn. I'm drooling over Glenn. <laughs> Do we drink enough? I don't think we drink enough. Oh gosh, no! I I, think, I, I am dehydrated. I think Australia is dehydrated, and um, yeah, I think that one of the things that you can really do that will champion the health of your own children is to value water. Just value water. Um, we we seem to think, and I'm I'm the biggest culprit that water is a chore, 
but something with flavour is recreation and we would rather have recreation than a chore. But water is just fantastic and being really well hydrated from being a child right through your life has huge benefits and and I would say that if mums can encourage their kids to love water, they've, they've set their kid up for a great future. Brushing, people ask me, you know, do I need to use electric brush? Do I need to use a manual brush? Do I need to use a hard brush, soft brush? I would say definitely go soft, whether it comes to manual or whether it comes to an electric toothbrush. You could give me a Stradivarius violin, you're not turning me into a violinist. You could give me the most expensive chef knife, you're not turning me into a cook. You could give me the finest horsehair paintbrush, you're not turning me into an artist. And by giving someone a toothbrush, you're not turning them into a hygiene champion. It's the brain attached to the hand, attached to the toothbrush that's going to make the difference. And the recommendation in Australia is that for the kids in your cohort, kids like, you know, naught to, to, to four or five, mums should be brushing their teeth once a day. Yeah. So I think that in the early part, probably mums need to be doing most of the work. But I, I would say that it's a safe thing to give the kid a go for, you know, once a day, and then mum to be stepping in once a day and, and doing that. And, um, if if you you can see plaque, it's not it's not rocket science. If you just visually look at the teeth after they've been cleaned, and if they're white and shiny, and there's no organic film or pellicle built up on them, you've done a good job. Fabulous, great advice on the brushing front. Now, with bubs before they have teeth, should we be doing anything to their gums? Oh man, that's a tough one. <laughs> Sorry, Glenn. I think getting them to I think getting them to chew is great. There is a argument in the Western world that wisdom teeth are a huge problem because we underuse our jaws and um, we're not really getting the functional use out of them. We tend to blend, puree, soften, bake, you know, cream. Yeah, food in nature often is a little bit tougher, rougher, mm. requires more chewing. And um, I would say that one of the best things that you can do for your baby is to introduce them early to the idea that, yeah, chewing should be not made effortless by all mm. of the processing that we do to food. Really introduce kids to the idea of carrots and celery and apples and, you know, stuff that, that nuts, that stuff that actually requires a little bit of a workout. Look, I, I'm not an expert on the nutritional needs of kids and I would hate to get on the airways and tell people that at two months of age they should be consuming food that they're not ready to digest. <laughs> but um, I, I think that the more – babies are naturally oral, aren't they? They love shoving things in their mouth and they love chewing things and they love having that. And I think if we can champion that cause, we're going we're gonna to build their immune systems, we're going to develop resiliency, we're going to develop the, the musculature um, and all of those things that, that really contribute to the development of the face. Yeah, I would be encouraging all mums to give their kids something to chew on from as soon as they're ready to do it. Yeah. Right. Someone said, does washing a baby's new teeth with a face washer help? I think that's for teething, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, a lot of people will recommend that that's the, the way that you can actually easily clean new teeth ah. because particularly babies tend to swallow everything and there is some concern in Australia where the majority of Australians are living with fluoridated water that too much fluoride toothpaste on a baby's brush when they're just going to swallow it mm. can run the risk of increasing their exposure to fluoride and we want to be in that therapeutic range that's below the toxic range and but above the useless range so yeah some people will say look a face washer as teeth are just coming through it is fine so i would say you know that four to six month time frame where there's just one or two little teeth down the bottom that, that a face washer can work one of the things that would make me nervous about face washers though is that they notoriously are the just nasty for, for harboring bugs and, yeah. and growing bacteria and it wouldn't be something that I would naturally think was the smartest thing to do, but I, I can understand why other people might think that that works okay for, for them and their family. But I would tend to be wanting to put things into babies' mouths to clean them that themselves were quite clean. Yes, yeah. <laughs> makes a lot of sense. When should you start using toothpaste and should it be fluoride full or fluoride free? Yeah, look, I'm going to start up a, a, a World War Three here because I'm <laughs> There's a lot of contention in the community about fluoride. This is where I'm at. As a dentist who's, who's worked in many, many developing countries, I've been in Pakistan, Bangladesh, Kiribati, Solomons, Outback Australia, Royal Flying Doctor Service, Queensland Outback, Alice Springs, 20 years in the Aboriginal community. I, I think that I, I can speak from experience that it's very, very clear to me that children that are raised in an environment where they have a good diet, 
and are exposed to appropriate levels of fluoride toothpaste turn out the best. I've seen many families where the diet is brilliant, but the decision not to use fluoride in that family network has meant that mum and dad have active decay in their mouth and are spreading the worst kind of flora to their children. So what tends to happen is that fluoride toothpaste across the community lowers the bacterial count amongst everybody and gives kids the best chance. So it's not just fluoride toothpaste mm -hmm. for the kids, but fluoride toothpaste for mum and dad. Mm -hmm. In Australia, as I said, it's a marketable commodity and fluoride toothpaste comes in childhood doses and that's specifically designed, I would say, if your kid is a swallower, if they're, if they're swallowing toothpaste, yeah. then certainly, mm. yeah, certainly Lots go for the childhood doses and only put tiny amounts of toothpaste on the toothbrush for kids who, who are swallowers. But for kids that are getting a little bit older, particularly if they're at risk of developing decay, a lot of dental professionals, myself included, will say to mums, two to three nights a week, tell your kid to, to brush their teeth, spit out as well as they can, but not do that final rinse and actually deliberately fall asleep mm. with a tiny little bit of toothpaste mixed with saliva that sits on the teeth. And that will, that will give them a real ready supply of fluoride to integrate into the tooth enamel. What fluoride does, many listeners won't recognise, fluoride does a multiple of things, as well as being a potent antibacterial and reducing bacterial counts. What it does is it, it exchanges in the mineral content of the lattice that forms the crystal structure of the teeth. It, it replaces the phosphate ion in the crystal structure. And once it replaces the phosphate ion in the calcium phosphate crystal structure, it reduces the solubility of tooth enamel. So tooth enamel that's entirely calcium and phosphate in its crystal structure has a solubility constant that's low enough for normal acid to break down the tooth structure. Once you put fluoride into it, the fluoride is so reactive that it just hangs onto the calcium atoms and, and is, they're not as free to be released in the presence of plaque acid. So regular fluoride at super low doses on the surface of tooth structure will, in essence, create a crust of hardened, acid-resistant tooth enamel that will really be protective for your kids. So I'm a champion for fluoride. Mm -hmm. I'd say, look, drink fluoridated water, use fluoride toothpaste in the right levels. It's been demonstrated around the world in, in hundreds of thousands of studies to be very safe. And it is perhaps been said by many people to have been the most successful public health measure of, of all time, yeah, well. fluoridation of water and use of fluoride for, for, for tea. It's great. And this was probably the most common question we got. How the hell do I let my toddler brush their teeth? Any way they can. And like I said, if you as mum or dad, if you're a primary caregiver, if you champion once a day of getting in there and having a look and having an inspect, it's a great thing. Become your, your child's first dentist. Just get in there and give them a good teeth. If you're cleaning them once a day brilliantly, then whatever your kid does the second time a day is of little consequence. Yeah. It's, it's, if, if you're, if you're nailing it at the end of the day, it's like telling your kid to clean the room and then after they've gone to sleep, go in and finish the job. <laughs> so, so the, the first round is their turn. And then at the end of the day, before they go to bed is your turn. Yeah. And if you make sure that they're going to bed without any visible food or plaque or bacteria, build up that you can see, then then you're putting them in a really good position. So I would just encourage mums to give their kid a toothbrush as soon as they're ready to chew. Teething is the best time to do it mm -hmm. and give them a toothbrush. This is your toothbrush. Don't need to put toothpaste on it. Just get them in the habit of chewing it, destroying it, playing with it and and just make it part of, of their familiar space and then start off with the really low flavoured, low fluoride toothpaste and then gradually build up. And then if you do it early, then it's not something that a kid is going to freak out mm. um, when they're a little bit older and they've got a little bit more of a will yeah. to resist um, introducing that change. That happened quite organically for us with Yumi because I was always in the bathroom in the morning and then brushing my teeth, so she would come in and demand my toothbrush. So I bought yep. her a little one and she would just yep. sit there in the mirror and she only had a few, but she would sit there and do it to herself That's and then she'd go change. over to the towel and wipe her tongue and I'm like, no, 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 I'm yep. wiping my mouth, not my <laughs> tongue. And she still does that to this day, but... Good honour. Yeah, and I think I think that at the end of the day, you as parents know that we model much more than we lecture. Absolutely. Yeah, kids will pick up what they see us doing. And if it's something's important to us and is part of our routine and we model that behaviour, 
then it just becomes organic and natural for the kid to say, I want to do the same. Yeah. And just a couple on tooth knocks before we finish up. If a baby or a toddler has hit their mouth and then a few weeks later the parent notices it graying, what should they do? Look, I think this is a really good time to involve a dental professional because one answer is not going to answer every situation individually. But at the end of the day, the current trend in dentistry is that trauma to baby teeth is best treated by watching and waiting Mm -hmm. and not intervening. And teeth can go dark, they can lose their vitality, they can change colour, providing the child is eating normally and not guarding or protecting themselves against obvious pain or swelling and infection, then children can live quite happily for many years with a tooth that's the wrong colour or in the wrong position or the wrong shape or or, or had a bump or not. So so for in my practice, and and I'm doing this based on evidence and on recommendation from, from those in the know, what we'll always do with a child who's had a bump or a knock is we'll try and get a little photo, even if it's with your iPhone, just a benchmark photo that records what the tooth looked like after the injury mm. and then maybe a little X-ray if the child will allow it. And then we'll watch and wait. And if the child returns to eating normally and they, they can function normally, then we just, if the tooth's wrong colour, wrong shape, wrong position, just watch and wait and until there's a, a mandated reason to go in and treat. To treat a child 18 months to two or three after a knock is a general anaesthetic. It's not something that you can do easily in the chair. So you really need a compelling reason um, to do it. A change of colour I don't think is enough. Baby teeth are well innovated and well supplied with blood supply and they can repair and heal themselves from knocks much more effectively than adult teeth can or if they can't repair and the tooth does change colour they can wall off or um, protect themselves against a a denervated and non-vital baby tooth quite well so look for look for the evidence of redness or swelling or a little pimple on the on the gum that is a telltale sign that there's some infection and certainly have your dental professional check regularly every three to six months after trauma to see if there's any changes that, that warrant intervention. When do kids usually start to naturally lose teeth? Look, the average age that we would learn in dental school is about five. That's usually when the, the bottom four baby teeth start to fall out and the adult teeth come through. But yeah, I've seen as early as four and as late as seven or eight. Mm-hmm. And there's a very, very, very wide range. But yeah, normally I would say that most kids between five and six are starting to get wobbly bottom teeth. And if they haven't started to lose their teeth by seven, then I would be certainly asking the dentist just to take a little x-ray to see whether the adult teeth are there and whether they're in good position and yeah, whether your child is one of those exceptional one in a hundred thousand that <laughs> might have anodontia, which is yeah, being born without teeth. But normally if they've got baby teeth, they're going to get adult teeth. And very, very last, what age, all going well, should kids start to see a dentist? And do you have any tips to set up good practices so your little one isn't scared of the dentist? I've always said to my mums, bring your baby from the age of birth to your own dental appointment. Yeah, I would make an exception if I was going to be doing something that was traumatic (laughs) for the mother or father. So, yeah, if we were giving them, you know, multiple extractions or placing dental implants or doing, you know, surgical removal of cancers on their lips. But, But for the regular check and exam, just normalise the dentist. And, Jay, you will know that when Mia came to, to say hello to us, you brought in a whole collection of friends and rallies and grandmas and we were having normal conversations. We weren't fussing over the child. We allow the, you know, the, to just kind of feel that it's a comfortable space where everybody's happy and if you can normalise the dentist, mm. then, then it's, not, it's not scary. And um, I, I, as you as you alluded to, I've got multiple TV screens I put on Bluey or ABC Kids or YouTube videos. I actually, I don't think I'm unique, but my personal way of treating kids is that I actually ignore them a lot and I spend a lot of time talking to their mums or their dads and, and I give kids space to acclimatise and, mm. and get used to the dental surgery mm. without feeling like everybody's focused on them mm. and they've got to perform or they've got to meet expectations. And I think that the more normal it is for your child to be in that dental surgery, the less hesitancy there is. Dentistry these days does not need to be uncomfortable. The only only problems that I have with kids is non-compliance. I, I can promise a mum that if your child will follow in simple instructions and will work with me and not against me, that we can make any dental procedure, you know, 
tolerable. We've got happy gas. We've got, um, you know, we can, we can use pre-medication with, with some anti-anxiety things for kids that are particularly anxious. I still take kids every six weeks or so to theatre and there's some kids that it's the right place for them to be treated under general anaesthetic if they've got excessive amounts of work to do and we just want to mm. catch up. But but I think that quicker your child starts going to the dentist, the more normal it becomes, the more familiar they are with the dentist as a personal friend, the, the less traumatic it's going to be. If you wait until it's the crisis and the raging toothache in the middle of the night and swollen face and pass and temperature and fever, that's then you're at the biggest disadvantage. Mm. It's really hard for the, for the child to love the dentist. So I would just say... Most dentists in Australia are never going to charge you to have a child with you when you go and get your clean and check. Some dentists are very concerned that kids running around in the surgery and playing with scalpels in the corner is not a good idea. So you need to have, you know, babies in a pram or you need to bring grandma with you Mm. to be supervising the child. But I would think that that dentists that love kids would say the more often a kid is in my surgery, mm. even if they're not the, the focus of attention, the more normal it becomes for them and the easier it is to just jump them in the chair at the end of their mum's visit, give them a ride, have a look, put their teeth on the, on the you know TV screen with an intraoral camera, give them a free toothbrush, you know, make it fun. And um, I, I've got kids that have grown up with me as their dentist who actually look forward to coming to the dentist, put the oh, mark on the calendar, nag their mum, we want to go and see Glenn. That's not across the board, but there's no reason why you have to be frightened that a dentist who loves kids is going to traumatize your child. I can't tell you how get, many get in early, get in how many people ask me where your dentist is because the the three bluey screens that I mentioned <laughs> earlier, all the mums were like, Woo, where is this? Damn, I'm gonna take my kid to the dentist. Yeah, look. Look, Jade, we could just do some, like, yeah, let's just have some self-promotion. Yeah, come and visit me. I'm awesome. But, look, I, I would have to say, Jade, that most dentists these days that have kids in their practice are all doing the same things. Most dentists are nice people. Um, they wake up in the morning and their their intent for that day is to be as kind and fair and, and um, you know, nice to the people that, that are in their dental family as they can be. And I don't think that you have to hunt for that magic dentist. I, I, I love seeing kids. But I've got many colleagues, you know, based in our area and all around Australia that are all just fantastic people. And um, they know in dentistry that if you invest in kids, then you've got a successful practice over your life. Because once you've developed that relationship with somebody, you, you keep it for a long time. People feel safe with people they know. And so, yeah, smart dentists are going to have their practices geared so that they will really, really be on the lookout. To, to make new friends and kids are the best friends to make. They're, they're fun. They bring joy into our lives. They tell great jokes. They ask really interesting questions and, and they have good time at the dentist. And yeah. Well, well Glenn, but also <coughs> North Coast Dental. <laughs> <laughs> North Coast Dental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Glenn. You have been an absolute delight and I hope everyone enjoyed all those fun facts. Um, I'm off to drink some water and brush my teeth. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, good on you, guys. That's right. And look, just remember that everybody's entitled to a birthday party and no one ever got tooth decay from Christmas dinner. Oh, yeah. you're the best. We and red you, wine. Glenn. Yeah. Thank you. Love so you, Glenn. Much, Glenn. Thanks. No for worries. The time. See you again. Bye. Love to be back on another day. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.